0: And open up to the fifth book of the Bible. Would you believe we're we're beginning the book of Deuteronomy today as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the word of God. Go to the Lord with me in prayer right away, if you would, as we jump in. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of your word and what you're going to teach us in this time. Lord, redeem every second and do miracles among us. Teach us, correct us, inform us, equip us, challenge us. Speak your truth, Lord. And I thank you for the privilege today of being able to just worship you another day, to love you another day. Have your way now with each of us. Speak, Lord, to each of us in a way we could understand. No matter who we are, where we've come from. You love us too much not to take us the way we are. But you love us way too much to leave us that way. So, Lord, take this time and develop us, draw us into you and make us more like you. And if there be any who have yet to accept the gift of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, let today be the day of their salvation. So, Lord, may your spirit go forth and may we have so much fun in your word now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. In other words, don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. Take everything to Scripture and compare it to Scripture. Let this Bible that you hold be that for which you test all things true or false. We call the book Deuteronomy. Uh, The traditional name, by the way, would be Aleh uh, which, is by, by the way, that just means these are the words. It's because traditionally the Jewish approach to it would be to take the first words of a sentence. And uh, that becomes the name of the book. And we see that with all five of our books that we, see, uh, that we call the Torah. There are 34 chapters, or 957 verses for what it's worth. But it's basically Moses' goodbye message. He's getting ready to die. It takes place basically over about a month. Uh, So we know it because we're one month short of 40 years at the beginning of this book. Moses will die by the end of it at the end of the 40th year. And then the people by Joshua, the next book, chapter four, we read, will take on uh, cross the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. So that kind of puts us in a little bit of kind of a mindset to this now thematically, and it's important to note that one of the words people like to kind of bring out is the word command because it's used over a 100 times. And I will say any book that uses something over a 100 times, that's kind of noteworthy. Wouldn't you agree? That was a question, by the way. It wasn't just rhetorical. Yeah, you okay? Yeah, yeah. However, this is what I've kind of noticed. I've kind of looked at a couple other words. The word law as well in the first four books, 9, 18, 18, and 10. This is used 24 times in this book. The word love. It's important to note that the word love here is used twice as many times as the other four books combined. And that's kind of noteworthy, wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think? This is easy, right? You can nod here. Just try try it. Try it. Just to see. Bobblehead with me. Okay. Don't worry. I'm not backing you into a corner and making you, I don't know, whatever. The one that really struck me, though, is the term, the Lord, your God. And I get the idea why. But understand, in, in Genesis, it was used once. In Exodus, it was used 16 times in Leviticus twenty four and Numbers three, but in the book of Deuteronomy it's used two hundred and forty times. I think that's noteworthy, wouldn't you agree? Yes. Ooh, I got a yes out of that. Woo! That's actually almost six times more than the other books combined. And to be honest, it's almost sixty percent of the times it's used in all of Scripture as a whole. Now understand it's not just the Lord, and it's not just the Lord God. God means He's creator. The Lord means he's the boss. But the Lord, your God, makes us claim him. It's one thing to say there's a God out there and I'll make him up whatever way I want so I can do whatever I want and it's going to be okay. It's one thing to say, well, there is a God out there, but who can find him? There's a God out there and he He pops up in all kinds of forms for one person of head of cabbage and for another person a guy in a robe and for another person some Jewish guy 2,000 years ago. But Scripture makes really clear God is not some ominous mist. He's not like a cool perfume you walk into and go, ooh, that's nice. What's that? He's for real. And he's a person with a personality that can be hurt with drives and desires. And one thing I am confident in It is not God's will that any would perish, but all be brought to repentance. It tells us in 1 Timothy, he desires, desires, literally craves all men to be saved. Saved. From what? From an eternity without him. Though he created you to be with him, he wants you. He created you to be with him. And because he's a righteous judge... Price must be paid for our sins, for our wrongdoing. And thus, God knowing the only person qualified would have to be sinless and volunteer to pay our price. And the only one qualified was himself. And so thus, God clothes himself in flesh, takes on the form of Jesus the Christ, and dies on the cross for us. How do we know it was enough? How do we know he wasn't just a nice delusional? And all kinds of people say all kinds of things, and there's all kinds of ways to not prove it. Back in California, where we had come from, there was an oil spill, a bit tragic. And, it, of course, it covered a great deal of our, of, our, um, of our coastline. It killed a lot of things, plants and animals alike. And they did a whole lot of sifting and cleaning and so forth. But there were a group of people from Santa Cruz. I don't know if you're familiar with Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz was the place where hippies move and forgot that they shouldn't be hippies anymore or whatever. But they, anyways, and they came down with their drums and they were going to come and heal the beach. It was nice that they knew it was sick. They came in, they beat their drums for 14 hours, apparently. At the end of the time, they needed to heal their hands. And then they said, we now pronounce the beach healed. Which is lovely, but there's no way of proving how sick the beach was, what the symptoms were. There was no gaugeable way of saying, oh, yes, it's healed. It wasn't like all of a sudden butterflies flew when they didn't before. The otters made better noises or the seals stopped sounding like grumpy old gals. I mean, in the end of it all, the sea was the sea. And the reason I say that is it's ungageable. And anyone can say anything with an ungageable result. But you can't have anything more gaugeable than death. Once you're dead, you day dead. And give it a few days so that you could be absolutely sure. And by now, we all stinketh. And then raise him from the dead to prove that death itself could not even conquer him. That makes Jesus unique. Absolutely unique. Oh, you can make up story tales anytime you want. But this is for real. Now, please hear me. This God wants to be your God. But to be your God, he must be Lord. And that, to be honest, becomes really... Not a splitting of hairs, but rather a dividing of continents. Because anyone in their right mind would not want to go to hell, especially if they saw it. Now, some of you may be old enough, those 80s album covers, they lied to us. It's not cool. MTV lied. But once you realize what hell really is, you will do whatever you could to not go there. But for have Jesus is sort of a great cosmic butler. Oh, get me out. But not make him Lord. Is robbing yourself of the absolute truth that he lays before us. He didn't demand to be our savior. He offered to be our savior. He demanded to be our Lord. Show me one place in scripture where it says, As long as you invite Jesus into your heart and make him your savior, you're okay. And you don't even have to say it in that accent. Scripture says, we must confess him as a Lord. If we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and confess him with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Oh, that's way different. And there are a lot of people that are going to be quite, a, quite a, for a shock. But can I just say, with all due respect, I love me enough to be innocent of that. I don't want the Lord to say to me, all those people you stood in front of, yeah, it would have been really nice if you told them. I would like to say as Paul, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated but to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And now we're entering into it here in Deuteronomy. This is an important book, by the way. At least ten times it will be quoted in the Gospels. When they ask what is the greatest commandment, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy. When they ask about any of the commandments, Jesus, in essence, will quote from Deuteronomy. When they discuss divorce, Jesus will reference Deuteronomy. When they talk about the roles of disciplining a person, that is a sin against you, Matthew 18, Jesus brings up Deuteronomy. When Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, the only book he quotes is Deuteronomy. That sounds pretty important, don't you think? Acts quotes it twice, Romans six times, the Corinthian letters three times, Galatians twice, First Timothy once, James once, and Hebrews thrice. It's pretty serious. All right, I'm done. Let's get into it, shall we? <laughs> You know, like, it's sort of like, hey, it's coming, it's coming. And then let's go to a commercial break. No! Okay. Deuteronomy one These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite, Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Levan, Hetzalot, and Dezavan. Or Dezahav. It's our place where we start. We're looking at the Jordan River. We're looking at the promised land before us. And Moses now was going to give us this beautiful sermon. And can I just say this? One last thing. You know I'm going to do this. I've been studying for a while Middle Eastern vassalage when a king takes over a group of people. And it's interesting. The contract they sign always has the same order and same elements. There's always an introduction, a preamble, if you will. Then there is, in essence, a listing of history. Then there are general law requirements. Then there are specific law requirements. And then there are the consequences for those things at the end. This book works exactly like that. Moses handing the torch, if you will, to Joshua. Over a two million group of people here under the vassalage, not of Joshua, but of Jesus. Ultimately, if you will, uh, but clearly under God, the Father, as we see him here, is listed in, in The Lord our God. First four verses of preamble. All the way through to chapter four are historics. The general laws will be all the way through, in essence, to chapter 11. Chapter 12 through 26, specific laws. 27 through 30, then the consequences, the blessing and curses. And then ultimately, the end of the book, just like a good musical, Moses sings and dies. These are the words that Moses spoke in this place. Verse 2, our little side. It is an 11-day journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, which is, by the way, where they are, which, by the way, means the sanctuary of the wanderer. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, we're one month away from 40 years total, right? That Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. After he had killed Sihon, King of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshvam and Og, King of Oma sounds scary, right? What's the king's name? Og, who dwelt at Ashtaroth in Edrai. On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain, not just tell, but explain the law. Exodus teaches us that God gave the law to the first generation who would sin and not enter in. Now the second generation is there. The old man must die. The new man is staring at the border, and God says, You need to know the law too. And he's explaining now. The word there is Ba'ar, and Ba'ar means to dig, engrave, or explain. Now, now listen. This is where the whole thing hinges. We have these two kings. Now it seems like, you know, we're gonna get that within the next two chapters. We're gonna get these kings. And we're gonna see how the kind of the thing went down. So why list it here? Well, I find it interesting, these two guys, Sihon, and ag. Sihon, by the way, of Vashon. Sihon means storms, stormy, tempestuous, of the area of reason. Vishan. And the second, then, is ag, which means literally to go around in circles. And, and I, I get this, because understand somewhere down the line, he goes, now that these things are defeated. Now we can go to the land I have for you. A land that's fruitful. A land that's overflowing. It's not like we're going to claim heaven. We got that the moment we said yes to Jesus. There's so much more, beloved. God wants to use you to affect the world around us, to infect the world around us. I know. It's okay. So please hear me. For every one of us, God wants us to discover a calling. More than just a claiming to Christ, but a calling where we could say, Yes, Lord, use me to affect my co-workers. Use me to affect my people in my classes. Use me to affect my neighborhood. God, use me in such a way that when people encounter me, they get a little bit of heaven and ultimately want you as a result. That's a land of fruitfulness, a land they've never known. They were raised slaves. So understand, what is it going to take for us to get there? Well, two things need to go down. Now look at... Maybe some of us, it's like, again, I'm just happy to get in and sit on the grass. You know, it's like, that's all. You know, just, I just, I'm, just, I'm not going to yo, That's enough of me. I never, it should never be this way. We didn't adopt a girl so she no longer had to live in China. We adopted a girl because we wanted to be with her. I didn't propose to my wife. Now, next week, next a week from Tuesday, it will be 25 years. It will not be. I didn't propose to her because I thought, well, I just want to get her out of Orange County. Which, by the way, there's a deliverance in that too, by the way. Is she in the room? (laughs) Yes, massive deliverance. Okay, anyways, (laughs) you could tell her. You could tell I wanted to be with her and continue to. God didn't just save you so you could go to heaven. He loved you so much he'd rather die than live without you. Because he wants to be with you. That's the point here. So what if the moment he gets you, then he's like, no, look, it, I want to use you to draw other people in, to let you know there's more room at this table. And you go, all right, God, I've got a kind of crazy past or a wonky life or whatever, but hey, if I can give it to you, somehow I know you'll fix it and make it better and use it. And God says, perfect, but this is what I want to do to get you there. We're going to have a, we have a couple things to defeat, and here's the first of them. You need to stop being ruled by your storms. We need to take that down. And, you know, for some people, can I just say, I went to a, a, a conference in the last few days where I visited a lot of other guys that were in ministry. And it it's unbelievable to me. And maybe I, I'm starting to feel more like the purple flaming monkey. In other words, just the oddball. Because, you like, you know, you meet these guys and they've been in service and you're like, hey, how's it going, bro? And I'm looking for fellowship. I'm looking for someone to go, yes, God's so awesome and I love his word and my church is awesome. And they're like, I'm alive, man. Isn't that what it's all about? I'm like, What? And I felt like I was in a room full of Eeyores. You know? It's like, hey. And I'm like, Tigger, right? And I'm like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, uh, yeah, Sunday's tomorrow. I'm like, yes, awesome. And they're like, uh, uh. I'm like, I don't even want to hear what you're saying. And I know that's not everyone. But, man, there's some place. And it's like, look it. And it's like, why are you like this? Well, I'm got it, right? You know, I missed the bus. I got this. This happened. I got a bill. Woman, you got a bill. Wow, that's a shocker. That was bigger than I expected. I get those all the time. How about you? And I'm not trying to belittle those things. Actually, I am. I'm trying to make them where they really are. They are storms. People can be storms. Situations can be storms. Life can be full of storms. Jesus never promised a storm free life for a Christian. He said, the one who hears his word and acts upon it is like one who built his house upon the rock. Remember that? This is a guy who listens but doesn't do it. And there could be both of us in this room. It's like a stupid guy. I mean, if somebody to put it the way it is, like if Jesus were from New York. It's like a stupid guy. Oh, he built his house on the sand. House went up quick. Bada boom, bada bing. When the rains came down and the floods came up and the winds beat upon the house, this, the house just crashed, and great was its fall. We expect that on the guy, on the stupid guy. We expect that. I'm not pointing to you. I'm right here, by the way. Just, <laughs> want to let you know, just want to let you to know that. Sorry, Christian. But the, but the smart guy, <laughs> it says that he built his house upon the rock, and it says the rains came down, the, the, ro- the floods came up, the wind beat. Grand- well, wait, stop, stop, stop. Did you notice the same thing happened to both houses? He didn't promise that there would be no storms. The rains are still going to fall in the house. In fact, you know why the rains are going st- uh, to fall in the house? The floods are going to rise and the winds are going to beat. So you can see that the house isn't going to fall. That's the point. Listen, if you think that being a Christian is a roller coaster ride, the thrill of it, yes. But the ups and downs part, then you haven't defeated your Sihon yet. If you really think, I have a great day today. I'm, oh, I'm up in the clouds. And it's like we're Christian bipolar. You know, it's like, oh, I love God today and tomorrow. God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because you missed the bus. And you know what? Things are going to happen at the moments you don't expect it, right? On my way to a, an important meeting, I'm going to be meeting some people, and I want to try to be fairly presentable. This is about all you get, by the way. And so at least you know. And I'm kind of on my way, and I'm, I'm walking my way there, and, and it's like one of the, you know, it's one of those beautiful places where they have those nice little, you know, stone, you know, pavements, sort of flagstone that's laid out. I'm kind of walking. I'm walking to catch the bus, and I step on one of them, and I'm not paying attention, but, you know, sometimes they're not exactly laid out, right? And it was one of those that's kind of covered in water, right? Well, the, outs- the top of it isn't water, but underneath is. So when I go like this, it goes, splash, and I totally look like I peed myself. Now, what do you do at that moment? What's the first thing you do? You go ah, oh, and then you go who saw, right? So I start looking, at it, and I kid you not, just about where Daniel is, there's somebody reaching for their phone, right? I'm like don't, don't even think of it. They're gonna be like check it out, I took a picture of a guy he peed himself, right? I mean it's like you know, and then like you know, and then you go well what am I gonna do with this? So I'm just like well, I and mean, I don't care, because in the end of it all, if that's gonna be, if I'm gonna be like I'm got it. I didn't pee my. I'm on, I'm on Facebook, on some stranger's Facebook. Oh, look at Mr. Nappy Guy, you know? I mean, in the end of it all, there are going to be those moments. That's the point. But if your life's going to be driven by those storms, well, then you're sounding an awful lot like the, the dumb guy, aren't you? I expect that from the world. You have no place to turn. Hey, when a tornado blows, you have to hold on to the thing that doesn't move. If you don't have that, what do you got? You see that on the buses and on the trains. In our area, we have the 326. By the way, in all honesty, I used to wait in line at Disneyland in the queue for like three hours for a ride with less thrills than the 326. I think sometimes you get on it, you have to sign a waiver. Just in case you won't sue. I mean, women. I've seen women fly over the railings. I've had to catch, you know, prams. I mean, you know what's it? And you watch it, and it's like, and if you don't hold on to something stable, baby, you're going to wind up in. You're going to meet strangers in a brand new way. You know, I don't even know how the the guy just does 90 degree. Anyways, you get it. But the point is this: if you can't, if when things are rocking like that, you got to grab a hold of something that's that's stable. What if you don't have anything stable? Well, then you wind up flying, and that's the point, beloved is that God says, if we're going to move into this land, can I just start with this? Sion's got to go down. And here's the most amazing thing. He comes from the land of reason. The word means reason. And that's exactly the problem. Can I see the one thing I am craving is for us to be in wonder of God. I find it insane. It's the only word I can come up with. That we can make so huge the problems in our lives and make God like he's like <laughs> like he's a leprechaun. This is the almighty God who said light be," and light was. Who said less words than you would in a, in a text and created the universe. And this is the God we're dealing with? What if we were just going, oh, God, how amazing it would be just to be saved? I don't even know how nasty I am, but the nastiness I know is enough to be amazed at your forgiveness. I just want to thank you. And that I have a relationship with you, and you put your spirit in me, and you want to use me. These things are mind-blowing things. These are mind-blowing things. Whatever happened to that? Because when we get that, and we embrace things by faith. When the problems happen, when the problems happen and the winds start blowing, we don't go. I need a good reason for this. As if God's entitled to tell us what in the world He's doing. Lord, I'm going to become spiteful and do stupid things until You tell me why. God's like, wow, you know that kind of sounds like extortion or terrorism. I'm not letting go my will. I'm going to hold it captive until You tell me why. That's the ransom. He's like, funny, I paid for all of you, ransomed you at the cross. And when I let that go and say, you know, by faith, I'm going to trust he really does know better. It is amazing what difference that makes. Maybe that's where you're at today. Where you're at is you're trying to figure it out. Hey, listen, do you really think that God, the ultimate multitasker, it really does anything for one reason? And you're like, God, I want to know the reason. If God actually told you all the three trillion reasons why he's doing something, your brains would explode out of your head. And then you would ask God, if you were still alive, why he made that happen. You'd be like, you asked for it. But you know what, God, I'm not going to understand. You are, your ways are so far above my ways. And that's why you told me that I should just trust you. I'm going to trust you. I don't understand. I don't get it, but I trust you. I know I'm going to look back sometimes even quite soon from now and go, oh, a couple of reasons were enough. I got, I got one. And now I feel so stupid for whining like a smashed cat back there. That's the first guy that has to go down. Is that you? You still need that Sihon taken down? Yeah, we may not get through three chapters today. That's all right. But then there's Og. Oh, Where I'm in this cycle. Love God. Wait a minute. That's going to be, the, to be honest, that's going to be the whole story of Judges. When you read the book of Judges, it's, a, it's the cycle over and over again. See, they're, God blesses them. They forget about the blesser for the blessing. They turn their back on God. They serve other gods. God allows them to fall into captivity. They hate their captivity. They cry out to God. He sends a deliverer. And he delivers them. And then blesses them. And then they forget about the blesser for the blessing, and it goes over and over. Is that you? I mean, if we're honest, some of us really know that cycle well. It's like the worst thing God could do is bless you. Think about it. Isn't that sad? Like you sneeze and someone says, God bless you. and You're like, no, 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 really. Well, I do want God to bless me. I, I remember we wrote a song a long time ago called Through the Blessing, and the whole idea of the song is, God, could I actually love you through the blessing so that, you could bless me and, and I could actually still cling to you in it. If the most important thing to God is your relationship with him, and the only time you really cry out to him is in a hard time, why would God ever pull you out of it? Isn't that horrible? Oh my God, how about if the time I'm closest to you is when you bless me lot? That'd be good. But God knows best, doesn't he? So please hear me. How does the how do judges stop? You know how the book of Judges stops? By getting a king. Once there is a king. Because what it tells us is, in that time there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The way that that cycle stops is for the king to take his rightful throne. What's interesting is with the first guy, to be honest, what we really need is a savior. In the second case, what we really need is Lord. And then interesting how that plays out. Because with the savior. He's the one, if I really know you've really saved me, then I don't have to worry about the storms anymore because you've saved me. You are my refuge. And that's where I'm going to go now. And I'm going to just trust you in that. You're my refuge. But in the second case, I'm like, oh, I'm going around and around. I need you to set your throne, boom, in the middle of that and crack that cycle over so that I am so tired of having these moments where I could look back and it was great. And now what in the world am I doing? How did I get here? Again, You see, that's where everything starts, and this is where we are to cross to the place he has for us. It's to get us to that place first, where we're willing to let Jesus be our Savior and our Lord. Matter of fact, you're familiar with the fact, right, that the name Jesus means God our Savior, Yahushua, the name Joshua. Christ, thus anointed one, demands that he is Lord. Well, walk with me in a little bit of this text, if you will. And I realized, thought it was so late, and then I realized my watch never changed because I don't have a smart watch. You know, in the spring, we do let you know time change. But in the fall, why would we do that? You actually show up on time. It's awesome. All right. We've gotten through five verses. Now we get into much of the narrative. Are you with me so far? And you know what I want to do? I don't even want to wait. I think we should pray right now. Because if the Lord has already spoken to you about these areas, about the Sihon having to go down or Og having to go down, well, why would we want to wait? Should we pray right now? Are you with me on that? Okay, well, then let's do that, shall we? Pray with me. Lord, before we even dive in now to this historical narrative, as we've looked at sort of the the preamble. I just pray right now, Lord, for every one of us. Lord, that for those right now that their whole life is still dictated by their storms. Pressures of life, people getting weird, missed deadlines, expectations disappointments, whatever they are. God, I just pray right now, whatever it is, that Lord, right now, we want to confess Jesus is our Savior. And not just for the moment of saving us from hell, but being the one we can now take refuge for the rest of our lives in. The price you paid at the cross in Calvary was for all of our sins. And you died the death we deserve. Just like scripture promised you did. And just like scripture promised you rose from the dead. Your death proves yourself our Savior. Your resurrection proves yourself our Lord. And I pray for every person here, Lord, who has been battling and been tossed around by the winds of this sea. Show yourself as the King over seas. The Savior now. And for those right now that their whole life is one of of going around in circles. It's just one trip around after another. And they're so tired of it. And they know the moment that they cry out to you, it'll probably be another and then another. And I find it interesting the first time it took eight years in judges for someone to cry out to you. The second 18 and the third 20 And I can see how we can build a tolerance to our captivity. Where we would have cried to you much earlier in the storm, now we're there for quite a while in our captivity. But we need you to be Lord, to take down Og like you should. So Lord, I pray right now for every person in this room that as we confess you, Lord and Savior, Jesus, that you would confirm in their hearts how you are rescuing them, even this very moment, sealing them in you, delivering them to your arms, out of the darkness, out of the captivity, to that place of the Prince of Peace. So Jesus, we confess you as Savior for what you've done at the cross. We confess you as Lord in your resurrection and hand our lives to you you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Now, keep your heads down for just one moment. Out of courtesy, would you do this? I just want to be praying for you. So while heads are down for just a moment, if you've prayed that prayer today, and you said, yeah, you know what? That's my prayer today. Would you, and again, this isn't for anyone, but I just want to be praying for you. Would you just raise your hand right now? I see you. Who else? Anyone else? Come on now. Don't be afraid. I see you. God bless you, bro. Who else today? I see you, God bless you God bless you sis who else today Lord I pray for these I see you, God bless you Lord I pray for these today who have made this prayer cemented in their hearts give them a hunger for your word and now as we go through this Lord drive us deeper into you Jesus in your name Amen Verse (laughs) 6 So warm and fuzzy in here The Lord God spoke to us at Horeb. By the way, that is the Mount Sinai. Saying, you've dwelt long enough at this mountain. We're going to see that same phrase in essence in chapter 2, verse 3. You've been here long enough. This was the place where the law was given. You've been here long enough. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all of the neighboring places in the plain, and to the mountains and in the lowland and the south on the seacoast, To the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I've set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. God says, you've been here long enough. Let's now put this into practice. Verse 9 says, and I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. By the way, this is, in essence, confirming the promise God made in Genesis 15:5 and in 22, 7, where God says he would multiply them in such a way. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he's blessed, as he's promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise men, understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing in which you've told us is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you. Leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers of your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time saying, hear the cases between the brethren and judge rightly, righteously, between a man and his brother or the stranger that's with you. By the way, notice that God shows the stranger no impartiality. You shall not show partiality, there you go, in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. If the case is too hard for you, well then bring it to me and I'll hear it. And they commanded you at that time and all the things in which you should do. So we departed from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw in the way of the mountains of the Amorites. As the Lord our God had commanded us and we came to Kadesh Barnea. Sound familiar? That's where they're at. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look. The Lord our God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us on the way by which we should go up and the cities in which we shall come. The plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. And they departed and went up into the mountains of the Valley of Eskol, which, by the way, means the Valley of Clusters, and spied it out. And they also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us, saying, It is a good land, which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you commanded in your, t- I'm sorry, you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us up out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we've seen the sons of Anakim there. Stop. Didn't realize that was going to be the dramatized version, did you? Please hear me. God says, you've been here long enough. You know where you've been? You've been at the place where you're sitting and hearing my word. Now let's go and do something about it. I told you when the word I was going to give you the land, let's go up and do it. But you're going to have to leave this place to do that. You're going to have to go up and do something about it. We're going to go and take the land God's promised for us. What's interesting is that both Moses and the people have a reservation. Moses' reservation is, well, I need more people. The people's reservation is, I need more proof. Let's be honest. This is the way it works. Listen, because now we're about to start dividing contemporary Christianity. Don't just believe me. Search the scripture. Choose it yourself. In this text, up to this point, there's one guy, because the people said, one guy's enough. You can go up there and get the word and give it to us. That's good enough for us. And if all it is is giving information, one guy's good enough. If that's all the church experiences is somebody giving you information, that's enough. And that's why we can have a church where we can fill it full of a thousand people, and then when it gets too big, we'll set up a screen somewhere else and let people go and watch it there. Because in essence, what you have is one person giving you information. But the moment you have to start doing something with it, you're going to need more servants. Did you notice that Moses not only made captains of thousands or of hundreds or of fifties, but also of tens? What would it be like if we did that? I feel like, you know what, I want to actually be not the person who hears the word and then lets the rain destroy everything and I'm gutted every day of the week, oh, but I'm going to be the person that builds it on and listens and does what he says. But to do that, I'm going to need some help, man. I'm going to need some other people. Hey, look, I can give you doctrine all day. We can sit here and we can argue over this point and that point in eschatology and soteriology and things that you go, what in the world is that good? If you don't know, that's fine. The, fun, the interesting thing is you probably actually know the, what the things are inside of it. You just may not have the fancy terms, and that's good enough for me. What I really want you to know, you ready for this? Because it's going to probably be really rough and complicated. Jesus, that's what I really want you to know. Because once you know him, everything really starts to sort itself out. And I want you to fall in love with this book that tells you who he really is. Follow me in this. If we're going to be a people that are actually active in his word, we're all going to need to get busy. So listen, for one second, let me cast an idea at you. Discipleship, isn't that a fun word? Some of you have already have ideas of handbooks. Some of you already go, well, I can think of the 16 books I've read where they all contradict each other. What would it be like if we really discipled each other? Not disciplined. That would mean I took out the paddle and, you know, maybe a little – anyways. Um, follow me in this. Jesus had disciples. The religious leaders had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Paul had disciples matter of fact, if I think of the one guy, I would say if there was one guy more than any that Paul discipled, I would say that was Paul's discipleship. Who would it be? Who would you say? I'd go with Timothy. Wouldn't you think? Well, what did they do? What was their discipleship program? You know what it was? Follow me. Well, that was really difficult, wasn't it? Jesus looked at fishermen and he said, follow me. Follow him where? Where he goes. That's kind of the point of following, right? When Timothy went with Paul, you know what he did? He followed Paul. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. So it wasn't about being perfect. See, when you, it's like, you know what, can I just invite you in on the day? And you know what you're going to do is, if you're really there, you're going to see kind of what devotion life is like. This is what I do for devotions. You're going to see what happens when I handle crazy people. There's no shortage of them. You're probably aware of that. There's no shortage of them in London. When we start getting low on crazy people, more get shipped in. Like myself, I'm aware of that. Start to see what happens when your heart gets broken. In other words, you get to watch what happens when the winds do beat on the house and the rains do fall and the floods do rise. Could you do that? You know the dangerous part is? Uh-oh, they'll discover I'm human. I would hope they already know that. And if you're trying to, t- to lead them to believe otherwise, y- then we've got issues, don't you think? If hey, you hang out with me, you'll, y- your prayer life will definitely increase. human and that's okay because God if you if you thought I was perfect and by the way if that's the case you are delusional and God help you you realize if you thought I was perfect and you're like God only uses perfect people if you realize I'm just a bozo like the rest of us another that Jesus saved then you don't disqualify yourself does that make sense and I'd like to challenge you if you've been walking with Christ for a week someone else that's given their life today, and we've heard hands. You could start walking them and look, well, let's start doing this together. Let's start walking, following Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ, because what I really want is to become more like him, and I assume you do too. Does that make sense? So Paul says, you know what I need? Is, I need more help. If we're really going to do this, if we're going to be more than a spectator sport, it's going to be more than a guy standing up the front and waving his hands. We all need to step up. Well, what do I do? How about this? fall in love with Jesus, and then whoever he shows you, pray for him. Start with that. Is that fair? Is that good? Step one, fall in love with Jesus, and when God shows you someone, just pray for him. Because it's so much easier to minister to someone you've been praying for. But then the people are like, well, so, Paul, so, what, so what Moses is saying is, I need guys, but I need guys that are wise. I need guys that genuinely, yada, yeah, they have experience, they know how to deal with these situations. They know who you are. And the people are like, yeah, that's a good idea. And so he sets up an appellate court system, which is going to be really important. Because I remind you, Moses is about to hand over the torch. And he goes, you already know how to go to other people than me because you've already had that, which is really important, beloved. Could you imagine if every one of you were in the same crisis at the same time? Wouldn't it be great if we could serve each other? Aren't you thinking, well, your body serves itself in that sense? That all of your body works in conjunction with other parts of the body? And then the people are like, oh, I I need more evidence. And God's like, well, I really don't like that. Because they, 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 they go. By the way, God does appease both. He does allow people, but then he also allows spies. But when the spies come back, they come back and they bring fruit from the promised land. And it's beautiful. And it's everything God promised. But they also have this report. There are giants. Did you see the word giant there? There are big. And the word great. The two words we see are giants and great. Not great like, oh, that's great, but like they're great, they're giants. Everything's so big. So you know what? I'm going to do this with you. Read with me. Let's keep reading, shall we? Don't worry. We're actually making good time. By the way, Anakim, we've seen Anakim. Anakim means, you ready for this? Ready for this? Fear is going to strike your heart. Anakim means necklace. Necklace. Huh? Does that scare you? We've seen the sons of necklace there. Well, there you go. Moses responds in verse 29. I said, don't be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God goes before you. Have you forgotten that? He's the one who fights your battles. He will fight for you according to all that he did in Egypt. Can I remind you how invincible Egypt was when you were there? Do you remember your giants? Do you remember what it was like to be a slave? to hate life and wish you were dead. Do you remember that? Do you remember how horrible it was to wake up every day and wish that the day would go by really quick because you just didn't want to live it? Do you remember that? The emptiness and the vacancy and the desperation and all the ways you had to hide that so that other people thought you were normal, although you really were in that? Because can I remind you, God's already got a history of taking down giants. And that's really what the next two chapters are all about, to be honest. Because let's go after one after another. God's taken you out of Egypt, and that was invincible. So exactly what giants are you afraid of now? If God's rescued you from death, if he's totally cleansed you from your sins, your filth, your muck, your nastiness, exactly what giant's bigger than that that he's had to take on? You ever have those moments where you're like, "Oh, oh, gosh, God, this one's really got you on the ropes? What do you think? This is like WWF? Do you really think, like, Jesus is in a cage match? I'm like, oh, Satan has Jesus in a headlock. Oh, my goodness. One, two, oh, always up! Really? When the Antichrist, who seems so invincible, sets himself up so people say, who can take on this guy? It says that Jesus will knock him over with the breath of his coming and destroy him with his splendor. So, you know, the enemy can go, oh, and all the big music. Duh, 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 I want to go. I kill everyone. And everyone's scared. Oh, no, oh, the says, I'm afraid. You know, fire and, and scary and green people floating in the air and spinning and throwing pieces. And all of a Jesus goes, here I am. Boom. And the whole thing's over. And everyone's like, I want my money back. That's the battle. There's no Jesus pushes him and he's like, you want some of this? And oh, Jesus got one in the chin. And oh, wait a minute, He's wagging women. Oh. You know. It's like it's like they, you know, Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross. He came up and he says, "Is that all you got?" And that was all he had. He had nothing else to reach in and get. And you're like, "Oh no!" But you don't understand. This person's really bothering me. Yeah, there's a giant for you. And I get it. Moments get rough. But they're nothing compared to the Egypt. You So I said, look at God's going to fight your battles. He's already fought your battles before this point. Why in the world would you think he'd stop now? Verse 31, and in the wilderness, you saw how the Lord your God carried you. You've already seen how he's taking care of you. He's provided for you in ways that make no sense. You explain it to people, people go, no. It's like a man who carried his son. And in all ways you went until the time of this place. Look, at he's taking care of you up to this point. You've never been in once. want. You go, well, look, well, I've wanted things, but nothing you've needed. Yet in all that, you didn't believe the Lord your God. Who went in, this well, says, went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way in which you should go in a fire by night and a cloud by day. God's already scoped it all. He knows where you're going. You don't. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and he was angry. And he took an oath and he said, surely not one of these people, these men of this evil generation, shall see the good land in which I swore to give to your fathers except Caleb. They're saying, God hates our kids. By the way, can I just say, the moment you start complaining and you claim to be his, you are going straight after his character to the rest of the world out there that's trying to figure out who he is. Not one of these of this evil generation will go in except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for he shall see it. To him and his children, I'm giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes. He says, even you shall not go in there. Yahushua, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him. And by the way, one thing we'll find out about this guy is every time he starts speaking about it, he's like, hey, encourage him. Which tells us that Joshua, actually, as much of a soldier as he's been, is a bit afraid. Well, he's seen what's happened with Moses over the last 40 years. He shall cause inherit Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you said will be victims, who say they have no knowledge or who today have no knowledge of good and evil, oh, they shall go in there. To them I'll give it, and they will possess it. But as for you, now turn and take your journey into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. Then you answered and said to me, oh, we sinned against the Lord. We'll go up and fight, just as the Lord commanded us. And when every one of you girded his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the mountain. And the Lord said, tell them, don't go up and fight. I'm not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. It's amazing. God says, don't fight. God says, fight, and they don't. When God says, actually, listen, I'll fight. You follow. They say, no. God says, don't fight. They say, okay, I'll lead. And God says, no. God knows what battles. And can I say this? God knows what battles to fight and which ones to stay away from. When God says, stay away from it, might I just give you this advice? Stay away from it. You really think you're going to win if God's not going to jump in it for you? I spoke to you, and yet you wouldn't listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against and chased you as bees do. And have you ever been chased by bees before? Not an awesome experience. Yeah, I would imagine our beekeeper in the back there would have been chased, probably. But he drove you back from Seir to Hormah. And that is so important because the word horma means devotion. You see, you were so busy trying to do it on your own now, God had to let you get defeated so you could get back to a place of devotion. Does that make sense? Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't going to listen to the voice of you or give ear to you. You remained in Kadesh many days according to the days you spent there. Then we journeyed, we turned and journeyed in the wilderness on the way of the Red Sea, and the Lord spoke to me. And we skirted Mount Sarah many days, and the Lord spoke to me now and I said, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. Have you noticed that? Remember in chapter 1, he says, You've been at this mountain long enough, Now go? And I he's like, You've been walking around in circles. Now let's go. Interesting. Remember those two guys that were defeated? The first one, the stormy guy, and the second one going around in circles? Compare that to your two mountains here. Hey, you've been walking around this thing long enough. You've been going around in circles. It's time for you to start learning with me, and let's get ready to go. Command the people, you are about to pass through a territory of your brothers, the descendants of Esau who live in Seir. Now, what is God doing here? It's actually really simple. But I remind you, the people just fought when they weren't supposed to. Can I remind you of that? Now God's going to say, don't fight those people. It's going to be, by the way, Esau. And then it's going to be, I'm in Moab, the two sons ultimately of Lot. And he's going to go, we're going to go by these people, don't touch them. Get food from them, buy stuff, don't don't pick a fight with them. Then we're going to go by this group of people, don't fight them either. Don't muck with them. Buy food from them, buy water from them, and that's it. Oh, then you're going to go by this third group of people, don't fight them either. Just go by, be friends with them. You need to learn when not to fight too. Some of you other than me had to learn that lesson or have to learn that lesson. I'm a natural fighter. I grew up real violent. And I'll say, not fighting takes more faith for me than jumping in. And the Lord's like, look at this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this. Walk with it with me, please. You're about to pass through the territory, verse 4, of your brethren, the descendants of Esau. Remember, that's Jacob's brother, his twin brother, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them. Don't muck with them. For I will not give you any of their land, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir as to Esau as a possession. I already given to someone. I give it to them. You shall buy food from them with money which is a good way to buy things, that you may eat. You may also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You've lacked nothing. And we pass through beyond our brethren, the the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, away from the road of the plain, from the area of Elath to Etzion-Giver. We turn and we pass by the way the wilderness to Moab of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Now don't harass Moab, number two, nor contend with them in battle, nor will I give to you any of their possession, because I've given R ar- to the possessions. That's obviously where the pirates live. To the descendants of Lot is a possession. And Emim had dwelt there in times past. A people as great and in numerous as tall as the Anakim. Don't miss that. They were regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them. Which, by the way, means terrors. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, the first group you walked by, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them, and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did at the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Now, rise and cross over the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered, and the time we it says, and at that time, at the time we took to come to Kadesh Barnea. We crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war were consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So it was when the men of war had finally perished from among the people. Once our foolish strength was down, then the Lord spoke to me, saying, this day you are to cross over. At are the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, don't muck with them either. Don't harass or meddle with them. For I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, as I have given to the descendants of Lot as a possession. They were guarded by the way, and as a land of giants. Giants formerly do all there, but the Ammonites called them, ready for this? Zamzumim. Try that. Zamzumim. Oh, come on. Say it with some. They're giants. Zamzumim. Okay, now try to say this one. You ready? Emim and Horites. Do you know all they had in common? They were all giants. God, so, so, so listen to me for just a second. We're almost done, believe it or not. We're walking around this corner here. We said we won't go into the land. There are giants there. They're too big for us. And the first thing Moses says is, are you nuts? They're nothing compared to Egypt. God took down all of Egypt to get us out. And you're afraid of these guys because you think they're giants? And they're like, you know what? We won't go. We won't go. We won't go. So God says, I tell you what then. You've gone around this circle long enough. Let me take you to the Museum of Fallen Giants. So let's walk by Esau. Oh, you know these guys, by the way? I gave them this land. But you know what the problem is? Before they lived there, the Horites were there. And you know what? I gave them the land. By the way, the term Horites, this is great, means cave dwellers. You know what that means? They were cavemen. And he says, hey, don't mess with them. That's their land. I brought them in there, but I drove out their giants to get them there. Does that make sense? Now we're going to go to Moab. Don't mess with them either. By the way, you need to know that before the Moabites were there, there was a group of people there called the Emim, the giants, the terrors. They were terrorists. But God says I took care of those giants too and then gave them the land just like I promised. Then we're gonna to go to our third place. Now this is the Ammonites. Now listen, Ammonite Amorite. do you hear the difference? God's giving the land of the Amorites to Israel. Ammon, on the other hand, is the second child of um, or second yeah, second child, if you will, of Lot. And he says, They by the way had a problem too with the Zamzumim giants. But you know what? I drove out those giants too and gave them the land because I gave them the land. Now, I'm going to give you land. There are giants there. Have you seen my methodology so far? And listen, maybe you're in one of those situations where you see something and it's so huge in your life, you feel like, I'll never get free from this, man. It's like, oh my goodness, my life is so consumed by this giant thing. You know what the Lord does sometimes? is He brings other people in your life that are part of the Museum of Fallen Giants. And they go, can I just tell you what the Lord's done in my life? Melissa, God has done things in my life that I'd love to tell you because my life is a museum of fallen giants. And you start to realize, wait a minute, God promised something and then he took down the giants to give it to him. And then you say, and then you sit with Nathaniel and Nathaniel goes, oh, man, God promised him something and then he took down the giants to give it to him. And then you sit with Decola, Man, I remember when we had this. there was this tiny little shop that you walked by, and if you actually took two steps, you missed it. And he's like, I'm, I'm thinking, bro, about this place. This giant place on the street, and it's so big, and it's scary, and all this. And I just remember us going in there and anointing and praying that God would bless it, and that God would make it a place for his word to go forth. It's crazy what God's doing. And, and the whole point of it is this. As silly as that seems, for someone, that's the giant they need to see fall. Does that make sense? And see, what God does is he goes, follow me, I'll be your tour guide. My name is God, I'll be your tour guide. Follow me this way to the next part, of the next exhibit of the fallen giants, Allie. The next exhibit of the fallen giants, Daniel. The next exhibit of the fallen giants, Dwayne. Nathaniel. Ashley. Shirley. David. Go talk to those museums and see what God's done. Amina. Gina, go talk to those museums and see what God has done. But we're more than a museum. Because a museum is just where old things are and they collect dust. We're more than that. We are a living masterpiece. Go speak to Anna about the exhibit, or Lauren and Christian about the exhibit that God has with them. It's performance art, by the way. So listen, verse 21. The Zanzumi, where a people is great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. Do you see how God keeps comparing it? But the Lord destroyed them before them. They possessed them and dwell in their, they, they dispossessed them and dwell in their place. Just as he's done with the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Syria, he destroyed the Horites from before them. He dispossessed them and they dwelt in their places. Oh, and the Avim, by the way, because they were a group of people that were probably the original Philistines, those that came from Kaftorim or from Caftor, and God drove them out who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftorim, who came from Kaftor, makes sense, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise now, take your journey and cross over the river of Arnon. Look, I've given in your hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and the land and begin to possess it and engage him in battle. Now notice, by the way, as we bring this around and we close up on this, he's taking us back to those two original guys. Do you remember that? Sihon and Og. Because that's how we started it. That's how we close it today. You know, the funny thing is, God says, now take the land. Go you know what they do? They ask for peace. They try to do what they did with the other three guys. But God says, that's not what I told you to do. Now it's time to fight. Look it. I took down those giants, give them the land. I took down those giants, give them the land. It doesn't matter what they call them. Zippity-doo-dahs, whoopy zooming whoop whatever it is, it doesn't matter. A whatever. Transformers, it doesn't matter. He took them down. And give him the land. He goes, now it's your turn. And here's the problem, beloved. If I were to say, all right, now this is what we're to do. We're to go out there, share the gospel with people, and watch them save them. Now it's your turn. And you go, I was good until there was the now is your turn part. You know what I'm saying? So he's look at it. Now do it. I'm going to put dread in their hearts. There will be a fear to fight you. Verse 25. This day I will begin to put the dread of fear in you upon the nations, under a whole heaven. You shall hear, the <coughs> shall hear the report of you, and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth, which, by the way, means beginnings, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace. God says, go find him. And I brought him, and I said, hey, I sent a little card and some flowers and a little sausage basket. I said, let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road. I'll pass neither to the right or the left, just like they've done with the others. Notice. You'll sell me food for money that I may eat. Give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. Just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar before me. Until I cross over the Jordan to the land in which the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, the king of Eshbon, will not let us pass through. For the Lord our God, your God, hardened his spirit. Now, notice he didn't change his mind. He just gave him more fervence. He hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into our hand as it is this day. And the Lord said to me, see, I've begun to give Sihon and his his land over to you. Begin to dispossess it that you may inherit his land. Then Sihon and all his people came out against us to fight at Yahaz, which, by the way, means to stamp out. And the Lord your God, God delivered him over to us. So that we defeated him, your sons and all his people. We took all of his cities at that time and we utterly destroyed men and women, little ones, every city. Nothing was left remaining. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Arur, which is in the bank of the river Anon, the city that is in the rain as far as Gilead. There was not one city too strong for us. Can I remind you of that? There was never one battle that was too big for us. The Lord our God delivered him to us. Now, we didn't go near the people of Ammon, remember, because God told us not to. Anywhere among the river Yavok or to the cities and the mountains, wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, to Og, our second king, to go down. Remember him, Mr. Round in Circles? And he came out against us, he and all his people, at the Battle of Idri, which means mighty. And the Lord said, don't fear him. I have delivered him and all his people and his, and his land into your hand you shall do with him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all of his people. And we attacked him. There were no survivors remaining. There was a total victory. And we took all of his cities at that time. There was not a city we did not take from them. Sixty cities from the region of Agav, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. With all these cities were fortified high walls. Remember how they said the cities were too great? Well, these were all fortified high-walled cities with gates and bars, with many rural towns. We utterly destroyed them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying men, women, children, every city, but all of the livestock in the spoil of the cities. We took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites when we were on this side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. Sidonians call it, by the way, something that means literally sheeted with snow. Sireon, the Amorites call it sinir, which means a big peak. All the cities of the plains of Gilead and all of Bashan as far as Salcha of Adrai, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. But listen to this. For only Og, the king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Did you notice that? What you don't remember, or what we might not have known, is that Og was a giant himself. When we took on Og, we took on giants already. God's like, let me remind you, it wasn't just Egypt that you've already taken on giants. Indeed, the bedstead of his was an iron bedstead. Is not Reva the people of Ammon? By the way, Ravav means great. Remember that word they used? Nine cubits. If you half the amount of cubits, that's the amount of meters it is. That gives you an idea. So it was basically four and a half meters was the length of his bed. Talk about a super king. Four cubits or two meters wide was his width, according to the standard cubit. And this land which we possessed at that time from Aror, which is in the river Arnon. Half of the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenan and Gadites. Remember how those two and a half tribes stayed on this side? You already live in some of the land I've given you because we took down giants. The rest of Gilead, Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argab with all Bashan, we called it by the land of the giants. Ya'ir, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argab as far as the border of the Geshurites and the, and the Men and called it Bashan after his own name. Havoth Ya'ir to its day. I also give Gilead Machir to the Reubenites and the Gadites. I gave from Gilead as far as River Arnon to the middle of the river of the border, as far as the river Yavok, the border of the people of Ammon. plain also, with the Jordan of the river from as the as the river border. I'm sorry, from Kidron, which is the Sea of Galilee, as far as the east side of the Sea of Araba, salt sea, below the slopes. Slopes. I'm sorry, of Pisgah. Now listen as we bring this to the prayer. I recognize we've read an awful lot of text. I recognize probably some of you are like, uh, the, like what gravy looks like two days later in your fridge. But I can't not get this far because here's the point. This whole thing started because two kings were down. Let me remind you, the king where we reason by storms and then we go around in circles. God says, once we take those, we can move, once we can take those down, we can move forward. And once I moved you forward, I moved you forward, and I said, God says, okay, now take the land. And Moses is like, I need more people. The people are like, I need more proof. Moses got his people. The people got their proof, but they also looked and said, Anakim, giants. We can't go in there. There are giants. And God's like, what is wrong with you guys? I took you out of the land of giants. I've defeated giants in the way of this. The reason you can move forward is because I took these two giants down, by the but if you, And we're like, well, that's enough, we won't go. And God says, well, if you don't want to go, well, then fine, you're not going to go, and that's it. You guys are all this generation, because you're like, you don't love our children. God's like, I'll tell you how much I love your children. Your children will go when you won't. And they're like, oh. Well, in that case, we'll go fight. And God says, don't even fight now. I'm not going to go in with you. I'm like, we'll fight anyways. And God's like, wow, you're so impressively rebellious. Now, I don't know about you, I really relate to that. I'm so good at picking fights God doesn't choose and sitting down on the ones God would rather me jump in to follow him in battle so I could see his victory. So God says, okay, listen, let's walk by now. This giants I gave them the land. These giants were kicked out. I gave these guys this land. These giants were kicked out. I gave them this land. These giants were kicked out. And let me remind you, you've gotten to this place because giants were kicked out. And now two and a half of your tribes live in giant territory. Can I remind you of that? So what part of this is, is stopping you this time? Hey, maybe there was a time in your life where you were walking with the Lord and, man, you were vibrant. I mean, you were full of wonder and you were so into it and great things were happening. You're like, yes. And then maybe you went through that cycle again and you're like, oh, man, what in the world am I doing? I've just become selfish, a consumer again. Well, can I just say today the Lord's bringing you to the banks of the river again and he wants to raise you up wants to raise you up, but he starts with making him the Lord and Savior of your life. We talked about that earlier. And then saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust that you're bigger than my giant. There's not a giant standing. That's the beauty, except the ones in front of me. All the ones behind me are down. So the ones in front of me, you're going to take them down too. I trust you're going to do that. You seem to have the reputation for it, and you've never let me down. As we go to prayer now, my heart's desire is that today we would walk out of here with hope. And if what that means is, God, would you bring more exhibits? Remember, these people wanted proof, and God brought it. I need more exhibits of how you've taken giants down. Well, then you better make yourself some time, because people are probably going to tell you their stories. Maybe today you're like, you know what, I just want to not go to hell. But he's got so much more for you. Why in the world would he bless you in such a way to pull you out of your own darkness and then let everybody else stay there? Especially people you claim to love. So as we go to prayer, may God move in our hearts to give us that hope back and reignite within us the excitement that there's land across here that we've never been in before. It is so infinitely cooler than where we've ever been, all we'll be able to do is say, wow. We pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done here. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life, for loving us, and no doubt our guilt and death were the greatest giants. We were slaves to sin. We were encumbered in, in helplessness and hopelessness. And You didn't ask for us to get up and tidy ourselves up and crawl up to you. You came down to our bedside, to our gutter, to our toilet and pulled us out. You crawled into our quicksand And you yanked us out by dying in our place and raising again. But we confess to you, Lord, there are giants in our life. There are giants, Lord, that you allow in our life to remind us how big you are. And Lord, if everything in our life would be small, I think we'd see you as small too. And so, Lord, whatever that is we face, a life-threatening illness, Bills that we have no concept of how they could be paid. Lord, people that just seem like they will forever be crazy and against us. Whatever it is, Lord. We're going to trust you today. Lord, that you are the giant slayer. And the land giver. And Lord, we recognize you don't just kill giants to kill giants. You drive out giants to give us the land that we would become fruitful. So, Lord, forgive us if we've actually sought to just be a mindless mass that sits and absorbs but never really takes it to practice. Lord, let this be the, the locker room. And as we leave here, may we be ready to take the field in whatever way that is. And Lord, for other believers, that we could invite them along in discipleship by simply saying, come along. Not that they're a task, but come and be a part of my life as I follow Christ. And we could fall in love with them together. And for those who have yet to know you, Lord, make the gospel quick on our tongues. That we would actually be more concerned about their knowing the truth than them being offended. Lord, if that's what the giant is, get us over our obstacles of ourselves. Our fear of rejection, our fear of somebody else looking at us like we're an imbecile. We're loved by the one who knows us perfectly, and that should be enough. And so, Lord, pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us in a way that we get over ourselves and make us now the army you've intended for us to be, engulfed in wonder of you and hopeful, Lord. In, in case and in hope that just knows that, Lord, there's no giant you won't take down in front of us. We entrust ourselves to you, and we declare you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, and say, now, Lord, we are your tools in your workbench. We're, in your, we're there at your disposal. Use us to touch this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.